0: Well, good morning. How's everyone doing on this beautiful Palm Sunday? You guys excited to be at church? I, I feel that. All right. Hey, my name is Daniel. I'm the Director of Missions and Outreach here at First Press, and I have the privilege of uh, wrapping up this series of Called the Kingdom Underground uh, that we've been in for the last uh, seven or eight weeks. And as you know, if you've been here over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the different parables uh, that Jesus told uh, that illustrated to us what the kingdom of God is like. And today we're going to finish up with the passage of Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at the last little section beginning in verse 53. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up or turn them on and get to Matthew chapter 13, I want you just to understand that uh, the text. That we're examining today switches from parable uh, to historical narrative, and so in a moment we're going to look at that and kind of walk through what happened when Jesus went back after his teaching these parables to his hometown. So the title of my message this morning is "Hometown Hero." All right. Speaking of hometown heroes, let me ask a quick question: Do we have any basketball fans in the house? All right. Any any Nugget fans? Anyone else dumb like me and stayed up till 11 o'clock last night watching the Nuggets' first playoff game? All right, there's a few of us. So the Nuggets, if you've not been keeping track... The Nuggets had a pretty good year. They finished second in the Western Conference. Uh, They had their first playoff game uh, last night in over, uh, I think it's been six years. And so there was a lot of energy uh, kind of built up, as you can imagine, waiting for that moment. And the game was tight. Uh, It was a back-and-forth race. Uh, You know, you didn't need to exercise if you watched it. You got your cardio workout, right, following the game. And so I'm following, and then 10 seconds left. We're down by two. I say we, me, and the Denver Nuggets. And uh, Jamal Murray gets the inbound pass, and he comes in and he pulls up for the game winning shot with less than 10 seconds, and he, brought, he brings it up. He's done this so many times, and the shot comes up, and it's, going, it's like slow motion. And it hits the rim and bounces off. And the Nuggets went on to lose the first game. And that was kind of heartbreaking. Uh, I was standing up at that point, all my family's in bed, I'm yelling at the TV. But what I thought about in that moment, knowing what our message was about today, hometown hero, is that story would have been very different if that bucket went in, as it so often does when Jamal Murray takes those shots, right? That stadium, that Pepsi Center would have erupted, right, as Jamal Murray would have been the hometown hero, right, in that moment. And I just want to set the bait. It's going to happen. We will win this series. I'm going to say it from the front in confidence and faith, all right? But, you know, think about Jesus. Now, be clear, I'm not comparing Jamal Murray and Jesus. Uh, Jesus was an actual real hometown hero, and I love what we celebrate today on on Palm Sunday. It's it's the people of Jerusalem welcoming Jesus, waving palm branches in worship and adoration as the Savior of the world comes down the road on the back of a donkey up into Jerusalem. The whole city erupts in praise, right? Because Jesus has come. Jesus is there. He received this incredible welcome, fitting for the Savior of the world, fitting for the Lord, right? He receives the welcome that he is due. One of the, when I think of heroes, I, I often think of the military personnel who are serving our country overseas. And I don't know about you guys, have any of you ever watched those videos of soldiers coming home and surprising their families? I love those, and and knowing that my title for today was Hometown Hero, I thought to myself, I'm gonna find one of the most heart-wrenching, you know, soldier-coming-home stories, and I'm gonna show it to you guys. And I sat in my office for over an hour this week watching video after video, and I cried like a baby the whole time. And I said, I'm not going to do that to you. So I'm not going to show you a video, but I got a couple pictures here because I think I can make it through that. You know, where a soldier comes home, just the joy, the embrace, right, the the excitement, the love. I, I think that's kind of the atmosphere, on Palm Sunday, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, right? I think the, the people were so excited that he was there, that they erupted in praise, and, and they, they grabbed onto him and worshiped him and adored him, and that is a kind of welcome he deserves, right? A hometown hero's welcome. But we know from this text that when Jesus goes to his actual hometown, he doesn't quite receive that level welcome that he is doing. I want us to look at this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. You guys ready? You guys love the Bible? Good. All right, here we go. Verse 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. They were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed by his miraculous powers from what they had seen, from what they had heard. Amazement welled up in their heart. And then I want you to watch what happens here. All of a sudden, the the narrative turns a little bit, and they begin to ask these questions, right? Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Right? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And are not all of his sisters here with us? Where then did he get all these things? And it, watch what happens. And they took offense at him. In a moment, they went from amazement at his teaching, amazement at his miraculous powers, and then all of a sudden, something shifts inside them, and they are no longer amazed. They are now offended. They become offended with Christ. Why? I think it's because of all the things they thought they knew about him. They understood Nazareth was a small town, maybe 3,000 to 4,000 people at the time of Christ. The estimates vary a bit, but it was a small community, so most likely everyone would have known Jesus as a young boy and watched him grow up. right? And they're thinking, this can't be right, the Savior. This can't be the Messiah. And they allow their doubts, based on what they think they know about him, to overshadow what he wants to do in their midst. And and look at this. It says, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And then this statement is a sobering thing I want us to wrestle with this morning. And it says here, verse 58, And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. The hometown hero comes home and amazement turns into offense. And as a result, the text tells us that Jesus did not do many miracles there. And it clearly gives us the reason because of their lack of faith. My prayer for us is that we would be a people that this is never true of. That we wouldn't hinder what God, what Jesus wants to do in our midst because of our own lack of faith. That we wouldn't be like the people of Nazareth who took offense at him. That their amazement turned into offense. And, um, and just how does that happen? If you, if you look into the text a little closer, that word, they took offense, is the Greek word scandalizo. All right? Now, I'm pretty sure I'm mispronouncing that, but I'm also pretty sure most of you don't know that. Okay, so we're gonna go with scandalizo as the pronunciation for the Greek word that says they took offense. And, and here's simply what it means in the original Greek it means they refused. To believe. They refused to believe. They heard his teaching, which was amazing. They saw and heard of his miraculous powers, yet, in spite of what they saw, in spite of what they heard, they chose not to believe. Belief, friends, is a choice. Is a choice each of us must make in our hearts. Will we believe what God has said in his word? Or will we allow our situation, our circumstances to define us? And I believe what happened in this particular situation as I studied this text is, I believe that the, the people of Nazareth entered into a place of unbelief because they allowed their logic to limit them. They couldn't understand how the Messiah could be from amongst them, how they could have watched him grow up, how they could have watched him become the savior of the world. They couldn't understand it, therefore they rejected it. And when I read that, something in my heart was like flashing warning signs. May we not be like the Nazarenes who rejected something because of our inability to understand it. How many of you believe that God might want to do something in our midst, in our lives, through our lives, that we don't understand, right? I believe God wants to do stuff that we don't understand, but too often, perhaps in my own life, I have limited him based on my logic, based on my inability to understand. I've allowed intellect to rule the day rather than faith. I know you guys haven't done that, so excuse me for a minute while I preach to myself, all right? Now, Jesus here is, a, is addressing um, you know, the, the people of Nazareth, uh, but there's another passage in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus deals with this issue of people being offended by him. And I want us to look at this together. It's, it's about John the Baptist. Matthew 11 verse 2 says this, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else now as I was reading my notes this morning this wasn't this wasn't there but I felt like the Lord put something in my heart and I believe it's it's for someone here today I I was reminded all of a sudden this is John the Baptist right this is John who who when he saw Jesus coming to be baptized when he saw Jesus when John was in the Jordan River baptizing folks and Jesus came John lifted his voice the same guy lifted his voice and said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Right, he made a bold proclamation about who Jesus was. He is the Lamb of God who was sent to take away the sins of the world. Now watch what happens later. He's no longer walking free in the light. He's now trapped in a dungeon of darkness in a prison cell. And while he's in his prison cell, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for someone else? The same man who boldly proclaimed, Days, weeks, months before, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world now is saying, are you the one? You see, doubts began to creep in with John, right? Doubt about, is he really the one? How many of you know sometimes when your circumstances change, you begin to doubt things that previously you were convinced of? And what I felt like the Lord put in my heart to share with you this morning is this simple little thing that's so powerful to our faith, so so critical that we hold on to, and that's simply this. And I believe someone really needs to hear this today. Never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. Never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. You see, when John was free, he boldly proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but now his situation has changed and doubt creeps in. And he says, Are you the one? Are you the one? And watch this verse 4. Jesus replied to his disciples, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured and cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he says this, which I think is interesting here. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Uh, The New King James Version words it this way, blessed are those who do not take offense at me. Blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Now, why would John (laughs) include that here? That doesn't make sense. Uh, Jesus gives his resume. the, The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the dead are raised to life. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. That seems like a weird thing to tack on to that conversation, but... But what I think Jesus is doing is he's addressing an issue that's underground. Just like the kingdom underground we explored in the parables, this text, I believe, helps us explore what's underground in our hearts. Because John is now in prison, and he, he knows that Jesus has the power to release him from his prison cell. He knows that Jesus has the power to heal, that Jesus has the power to raise the dead, that Jesus has infinite, unlimited power, yet Jesus does not promise John's deliverance. Even though he clearly has the power, Jesus never tells John that he will deliver him in this text. And I believe maybe, just my, just my own study, my own thoughts, I submit to you today for consideration. Maybe it's because John would have to decide if he would continue to believe what he knew to be true about Jesus, even when his circumstances had changed, even when he didn't receive the divine intervention that he hoped and longed for. Would he still choose to believe Or would he be offended by the lack of divine intervention in his case and allow his heart to become hard and so walk away into a place of unbelief where he refuses to believe because of his offense? Does that make sense? So, It's a thing we need to be very aware of because it can so easily happen in our own lives. I believe as Jesus is addressing uh, the people in his hometown of Nazareth, I believe he's addressing this core issue of unbelief, and so I want us to spend a few moments today talking about unbelief. Where does it come from, and how does it happen? Because the the, the Nazarenes were amazed by his teaching, and suddenly found themselves offended, taking offense, refusing to believe, as the Greek showed us. And so how does unbelief creep up in our hearts? I, and as I was preparing, I got three uh, kind of distinct areas where unbelief can kind of creep into our hearts if we're not cautious. And I want to share those with you this morning. Okay, I'm sure there are many more. But the first one I want to look at is uh, our unbelief that comes about um, from a lack of knowledge. All right, Sometimes we just have a lack of knowledge. We are uninformed by the gospel, right? We just don't know what we don't know. For some of you, maybe you've been uh, only in church for a little while and you haven't heard the beautiful mystery of the gospel explained in a way that you could grab hold of it. The fact that what we're celebrating this week, that Jesus came and lived a perfect life on your behalf. That the, the Savior of the world died in your place to pay the ransom for your sins. But not only did he live a perfect life on your behalf or die a perfect death in your place, but he was raised to life on the third day. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead is now available to you and to me. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how can they call on the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear, right, unless someone preaches to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. See, I believe for you and I, most of us in this church have probably, let me just test my assumption. How many of you have been in church for what I would call a long time? That's most of us, right? That's most of us. Most of us have grown up around the gospel. Most of us have had access to the good news, but there are many in our community and many around the world who have not. And friends, we have a responsibility. We have an obligation to share the hope of Christ with those in our circle of influence or with those who Jesus will send us to, right? He might send you across the street, to your neighbor or around the world to a country that's never heard of the name of Jesus before, right? We have a responsibility to respond to his word and to boldly proclaim the gospel. I'm the missions pastor, right? Come on. <laughs> How many of you have heard this? How many of you love this? St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times when necessary. Use words. Right? I think St. Francis would roll over in his grave if he knew that we used his quote as an excuse for our cowardice to say, I'm just going to let my little light shine. I'm not actually going to speak the gospel. Yes! Yes! We should let our light shine. Yes, our lives should preach the gospel, but the word when Jesus sends us out to proclaim the good news is the Greek word kurusu, which means to boldly proclaim like a herald. It's not just let my little light shine. It's I'm going to share the gospel with you because it is powerful. If you're uncomfortable, it's because you're being convicted right now. Just wanted to let you know that, Okay. So the key here to dealing with unbelief because of a lack of knowledge is simply to expose ourselves or to expose others to the gospel, right? To be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. I want to move on because this, most of us know, right? And if you don't know, please come talk to me. I want to tell you about the hope we have in Christ. All right, but let's move on to the second. The second area where I think unbelief can creep in is through a lack of trust. Okay, a lack of trust. And this will get some of us, right? Because many of us have been disappointed somewhere along the way in our Christian experience, right? So, sometimes God doesn't show up the way you expect him to. Sometimes God doesn't do what you thought he would do. And sometimes we find ourselves disappointed, right? In what we expected to happen that didn't happen. And that disappointment can sometimes lead to disillusionment. We are disillusioned by disappointment, right? And, and as a result of that, sometimes we, we fail to trust God. We fail to trust what God is doing. Because we can't understand what his hand is doing, we feel like we cannot trust his heart, which is so not true. How many of you know we can trust the heart of God even when we can't understand what his hand is up to? This time last year, I was watching my mom lose a battle to cancer. And my mom was an incredible woman of faith. She had seen the miraculous. She had prayed for people and seen them instantly healed. She herself had experienced uh, healings in her own body. And when she was diagnosed with cancer, uh, she was convinced right, that God was going to heal her because she had seen and experienced his healing power. And I remember flying home to to be with my mom when she was in the hospital and the doctor said that her liver was failing and she only had a matter of days left. And I'll never forget being in the hospital room and and our our worship leader from the church had come and and was uh, leading a time of worship. And, And this was a picture of my mom laying in her hospital bed with days left to live. With her hand lifted in worship, saying that God, no matter what happens, you are good. God, whether you heal me or not, you are the healer. God, you are worthy of my praise no matter what's going on around me. And in that moment, I learned a lesson I'll never forget from my mom. That even when our circumstances are shaky, our faith doesn't have to be. As long as we are anchored in the right place. I love this scripture in Hebrews Chapter 6, it says, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. And God did that so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And I love this part. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We have this hope that is an anchor for our souls, but sometimes we're tempted to drop our anchor in the wrong place. Right? Sometimes we're tempted to put our trust in what we want God to do for us rather than putting our trust in who God is. Right? God doesn't want you just to trust in your desired outcome. That leads to a shaky faith. But when you drop your anchor, that's the key here, when you drop your anchor and you are rooted to the consistency of his character, you find that your faith is able to withstand the shakiest of circumstances because your hope is in Christ alone. Not necessarily in what you want him to do, but in who he is. I love that scripture that talks about the peace that passes understanding. That sounds good. I'd like to get some of that. Right? Right? I heard someone say this, he said, we don't get the peace that passes understanding until we're willing to give up our right to understand. So what's more important to you? Understanding what God is doing or trusting who he is? See, that's the journey the Father's had me on this this entire year is bringing me to a place of deeper trust in him that even when I can't discern what he is doing, I can trust fully in who he is. The third way that unbelief can creep into our hearts is, is simply through a lack of faith. And I want to be clear here, I'm not saying that a lack of faith, that if you believe hard enough, you can, you can manipulate God to do what you want him to do. Right? Some people, even, if I can just believe a little more, if I could just have a little more faith, then God would fill in the blank. No, 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 no. Our faith isn't in what we want God to do. Our faith, again, is in who he is. And see, the folks of Nazareth, their faith, they couldn't put their faith in who God was because of what they thought they knew about him. And, and here's the, the dilemma I see here is sometimes our faith is limited by our logic. Sometimes faith is limited by our intellect. For many of us, right, we know so much about the Bible. We know so much about God, but here's what we have to understand. Knowing about him does not necessarily translate into trusting him. I'm going to say that again. Knowing about him does not translate into trusting him. And what I sense that God wants to do in our midst this morning is move us from a place of trusting in our intellect into a place of ruthless trust in who God is. Right? Now, don't, don't mishear me. It's important to study the word of God. Paul gave us a very clear mandate in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, to study, to show yourselves approved. Right? As a workman who needs not be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. I'm sorry, guys, I didn't put that on the slides. Right? We are to study. We're to love God with all our minds, but there is an inherent danger that we will begin to trust in our logic rather than trusting in our Savior that we will trust in our intellect rather than trusting in the God of the universe who is so unpredictable, you'll never understand all that he is or all that he does in a million years, right? There's a tension we have to hold, right? We need to study to know him, but we must not let our lives be limited by our logic because when we do, we might miss what he wants to do in our midst, right? That's what happened in Nazareth. They missed all that God had for them because they were limited by their logic. They were limited by what they thought they understood to be true about him. Isn't this, isn't he, aren't these his? Questions, questions, questions led to a doubt that led to unbelief that caused them to refuse to believe in the claims of Christ. Now there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. There's a big difference between doubt and unbelief. I want to make sure we understand. Doubt, right, is when you you question what you believe. Unbelief is refusing to believe, right? We all have doubts, right? If you're breathing today, you've had doubts, okay? You're in good company, right? You've had doubts, but the thing about it is that faith will cause us to step past our doubts into a place of faith, into a place of trust, Right, where unbelief will make us refuse to believe and therefore miss out on what God wants to do in and through our lives. Do I have time for one more quick story? I'm going to tell it. My friend Heidi and I, we had a team that went to Belize a few years ago. I think I have a picture of Heidi up here. There she is. She is so full of life and passion and energy, such a great girl. And we went to Belize, and, and the first night we were there, after we'd flown in, we went to a service in the church we were serving, and, and as she walked in, she noticed, I didn't even notice, I was so unobservant. there was a lady on the front row who was blind. And she felt like God put it in her heart to go pray for this lady, and to, to believe for her healing. And she's like, no. I ain't doing that. What if she doesn't get healed? What if What if I look like a fool? What if I make her feel bad? What if, and all these questions began to pile up in her mind. And as a result of all of her questions, you know what she did? Nothing. She, she didn't pray for this lady. And that night she was devastated. And she came to me and said, Daniel, the Lord put it on my heart to go and pray for this lady who's blind. I know God has the power to heal. And he put it on my heart to pray for her and I didn't do it. And so I said, well, let's just pray for her now. Let's just pray for another opportunity. Let's pray for another chance. And, and we prayed that night. And a few nights later, we were doing food distribution. We were taking boxes of food and into and the homes of church members in the community. And... <laughs> And the lady who was our, um, our point contact there in the Belize, I uh, was just saying, okay, Daniel and Robbie, get off here. And, you know, Joe and so-and-so, get off here. And came to this house and without knowing anything, said, Heidi and Susan, you know, get off here or whatever. And, and they get off the bus and walk in. And as soon as she walks in the door carrying this package of food, lo and behold, it's the lady who was blind. And she felt something hit her, like God was giving her a second chance. And, and she said, ma'am, I, I wonder if I, if I could pray for you. I know that my God has the power to heal, I just wonder if I could pray for you today. And she took a step of faith. The key here is she stepped into the unknown, right? She did not know if God would heal this lady or not, but she took a step of faith out of the realm of where she was comfortable into this place where she was completely dependent upon Christ, and she prayed for this lady, and she was instantly healed, able to see for the first time since she was a child. Right? And can you imagine that Heidi was so jacked the rest of the trip. She was so pumped because of what God had done, right? Because she was willing to not let her doubts stop her. She was willing to step out in faith, right, in choosing to believe that what God said in his word is true. And she acted on that and saw a miracle. I wonder how many miracles I've missed out on because of my unwillingness to step out of my comfort zone because of my unwillingness right, to do something dangerous or unknown. Maybe this, this Passion Week, maybe God would challenge each of us to allow faith to rise up in our hearts, to move into a place of greater trust where we have the courage and the confidence to boldly proclaim the gospel. Right? What does God want to do through you? How might God want to use you To find out, you have to step out. And so my challenge for you this week is how might the Lord be leading you to step out in faith this week? Maybe in your own heart you've been struggling with doubt, you've been struggling with unbelief. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're disillusioned because of your disappointment. I want to encourage you, bring your pain to Jesus. Bring your disappointment to Jesus and let him Hold you. Let him speak life to you. Drop your anchor in a place of confidence in who God is. And know that even when your situation is shaky, your faith doesn't have to be. Maybe this week God will use you to impact someone else's life. I want to challenge you in a real simple way that we have Easter coming up. Easter is a great opportunity when many folks who would never dare darken the doors of a church for some reason will come to church on Easter. So who is in your circle of influence that the Lord might lead you to invite to come with you? Maybe they won't come to church. Invite them to the Mackie Center. It's easy. Hey, there's a, a service, an Easter service at the college. right? Invite someone. But I want to challenge you this week. Step out in faith and see what God will do. Don't be like the Nazarenes who limited what God could do in their midst because they couldn't understand it, because of their logic, because of their intellect. Don't miss out on what God has for you this week. Father, we come before you now, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that your word is alive and active. And, Lord, it's our prayer today that we would be like the people of Jerusalem, God, that we would give you the hometown heroes welcome that you deserve in our heart, in our life. And may we not be like the Nazarenes who allowed all of our doubts to reject you, to fail to believe you. But Lord, we pray in accordance with your word, the same prayer that uh, a ruler prayed in, in the New Testament. God, we believe, but help our unbelief. That's my prayer for us this week, God, that you would help us in the places of unbelief in our life, to make a different choice, to repent and to move in a different direction and to choose to believe what you say in your word. May we live bold, courageous lives that are characterized not only by our understanding of who you are, but also by our faith in who you are. Lord, may we have the wisdom to manage that tension in our life, to know about you, but also to know you to experience you, and to see you work and move in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.